Stand at Ease, episode 21, Saturday, September 24th, 2011. Uh, speaking of history, I, I kind of lived modern-day history. Well, you, you, you learn you learn through life that, you know what, you may have a different perspective than I do, but as long as you treat each other respectfully, you can coexist in this world. Finally said, okay, now it's, it's repealed. Are you going to... Are you going to now join and make that sacrifice? Well, welcome back to a beautiful Saturday afternoon for me. Early waking up morning spread all across the time zones. Back to standatease.org. Over to my left, we've got the D. Bjorn Christian who hails from sunny, balmy. Where are you at there? Uh, Grand- I mean, I'm up in Grand Forks this week. Uh, we're at 53 degrees and sunny. A- any rain at all or... Uh... Uh, we had a little rain earlier this week. It was uh, we actually had a, a good windstorm come through, and it knocked a whole bunch of trees down in the area. So it was good. Well, and again, Arwe's over to my right, and now from hailing from the football dangerous Detroit Lions area, James L. Johnson Jr. How you doing, kind sir? Good morning, and how are all of you today? Well, so far so good. We had a little problems with the intro thing. Uh, Outtake reel would have been a good one had you had hanging around for a while. And we've got another special guest hailing from Queens, New York, Denny Meyer. Welcome aboard, Denny. Hey. And I am Garland Green, who's coming from the second time it sprinkled rain here in Netanya, Israel. What a beautiful day it is here. My day is over with. And I'm very fortunate to share with you guys that after I'm done cutting the show, I get to go to the back-to-school night PTA dinner that they're going to be hosting for us. So we're going to... Have to cut it fast and cut it quick. But um, as we always do, David has found an absolutely fabulous guest for us today. David, do you mind giving us a quick 411 on Denny and what he's doing and kind of kick us off like you always do, buddy? I sure can. Denny is coming to us from the American Veterans for Equal Rights, a group that's wor- that worked against the Don't Ask, Don't Tell uh, legislation. And he is the national spokesman for, for that organization. He is a veteran of Vietnam, and his parents immigrated to the U.S. right after World War II. Well, I'll let Denny explain more let's, about let's that. Let's not forget, too. Denny is a two-service fellow as well. He's not That's just, true. Not a single-service man. He's... That's true. He was in the Navy and then in the Army. Excellent. Yes. I, didn't, I never learned my lesson. Uh, a few corrections <laughs> there. Uh, I served uh, during, during the Vietnam era. And, uh, ah. as, as veterans as veterans know, uh, that's a very fine distinction because I was never in Vietnam. Uh, okay. My parents uh, immigrated during World War II. They were refugees from the Holocaust, and uh, the family fled Europe to the four corners of the earth, Israel, America, Australia, England, everywhere. So... Um, I was actually born in the mid-1940s, uh, way back before color was invented. <laughs> it was invented, but it certainly wasn't captured. Truman wasn't, was president at the time. I like to frighten young people by telling them that, you know, because it's just unthinkable that somebody could come from so far back in history. <laughs> oh, well, Jim, Jim was born about the same time. No, Jim wasn't born at the same time, but I can tell you what, he certainly comes from far back in history, that old timer. <laughs> so as a result, uh, uh, speaking of history, I, I kind of lived modern gay history, as it were. So I'm kind of a, a walking textbook on ancient 
something or something. You know, for some of those people that are joining in and are just kind of stepping in here, we, we know your bio because you provided us with a, with a rich bio, but you're also um, the New York chapter of the AVER, and right. you're also the editor of the GayMilitarySignal.com website. Is that right? Yes, uh, but uh, as you know, uh, web addresses are very specific, so it's not the. It's GayMilitarySignal.com. Very true. Very true. GayMilitarySignal.com. Absolutely right. And you're also the media director for Tr- Transgender American Veterans Association. Correct. And, and that's, so you're pretty active. Now, we, the reason why we decided to kind of go down this road is we, we had a, a guest on here a couple of shows ago who we had started out having a conversation with, and then she had revealed that she herself had served proudly for over a decade and was in the closet during that period of time to her mm. folks. And she had mentioned that we should probably have this conversation because it's not a small conversation. And bringing you on board with the rich history of, of you know, your cultural background, but more importantly, mm. serving during like what you talked about, actually in the heart of the period of time before we, we actually started making it, you know, more of a conversation and really brought it to the forefront. And you made a reference to Truman here. You know, mm-hmm. Truman brought uh, the black troops and, and he uh, desegregated the military at that particular time. And now we're here having a black president trying to change, or at least what I believe trying to change uh, what's happening. But I want to hear more about you on, on, on your experience and, you know, what you're doing now. Maybe you can give us a quick, you know, timeline of your experiences that, that led you here to today? Oh, okay. Uh, well, just to uh, follow up on your final comment, uh, last comment there. Uh, yes, Truman integrated blacks into the armed forces in 1948, and it took 20 more years before Congress caught up and uh, uh, made the, the, you know, the, the civil rights laws that we take for granted today. And as I've written in a recent editorial, uh, gay folk are not going to wait 20 years or 50 years to get full civil rights. <laughs> Just, it's not going to happen. Uh, we're demanding it now. Uh, but, it, but it is interesting that you pointed out the irony that uh, a black president is, is now integrating us into society. Uh, Timeline-wise, um, let's see. My parents fled Nazi Germany as refugees, and uh, my mother arrived in the middle of World War II in 1938 at Ellis Island as an illegal immigrant, no papers. Uh, And uh, so when people talk about, you know, anti-immigrant stuff, you know, I point out to them, well, (laughs) screw you. My mother was an illegal immigrant. (laughs) Well, yeah, really. Uh, My mother was an illegal immigrant, and her son, that's me, served 10 years in America's armed forces, leaving as a sergeant first class. So tell me about your objections again. You know, <laughs> I get silence, you know. So, um, so uh, anyway, she was allowed into the country uh, because of a word that began with B, either bond or bribe. Nobody knows for sure anymore. <laughs> but she was uh, allowed into the country and cleaned toilets to earn a living like any other newcomer <clears throat> and retired many years later as a real estate broker. Um, so she did quite well, never took a penny of welfare. And in the 1940s, my parents raised me to believe that there's nothing more precious than American freedom. Um, they, they maybe didn't realize how that would stick in my head, 
Uh, and if we fast forward to 1968, when I was in college and the anti-Vietnam War student protests were going on, um, these students got confused between being anti-war and being anti-American, and they burned the American flag. Uh, for people who take American freedom for granted, that was, you know, just <laughs> part of the fun. For a first-generation American, it pushed my button. I said, that's really wrong. And being 20 years old and idealistic, I went out and joined the Navy uh, and served uh, four years in the Navy. And uh, uh, then being gay, had enough of that. And I said to myself, well, okay, I've done my thing now. I'll D Denny, at, uh, let me ask you a question. At, at uh, what time in your life did you discover that you were gay? Oh, uh, <laughs> when I was about 15, um, uh, this, uh, well, actually, you know, I don't know, you have to be from New York to get the, the full gag, but it was during the 1964 World's Fair we used to hang out at almost every day one summer. <laughs> so, uh, so that's kind of when I, I realized it and came out to my best friend. Um, actually, he came out to me at the World's Fair uh, over a two-hour conversation. And uh, when he was done, there was a dead silence. And finally, I said, well, you're not the only one, Charlie. And that's the first time I ever admitted to anybody, including myself, that I was gay. So, so when you went into, uh, you enlisted in 1968... Oh, yeah, I knew fully. And to the Navy. I went in the Marine Corps in 1966. Oh, uh-huh. So okay. whenever you went into the Navy at that time, mm. you knew completely that you, so. you, you were gay with it. Very Did that easy. present any barriers to you when you went down to enlist or no? Ah, well, <laughs> okay. Um, actually, uh, you have to put the time frame on there to answer that question. Uh, in 1968, everybody was in the closet, in the military, in civilian life, and so on. Uh, so, and at that at that time, as as, as the hello, oh, there's a dog barking, is there? Yeah, I've got two attack dogs here. So, this, hey, uh, hey, one, hey, do me a favor. Let's wait. Let's hold up. Hey, what, make sure. Let me know when you got that. Okay. I got the, I got the mark. All right. All right, go ahead, Danny. Pick it up. Sorry, buddy. Right. Yeah. No, no worries. Uh, so. Uh, at that time, as the saying goes, there were no gays in the military, which, of course, isn't true. There's 1.4 million living gay and lesbian veterans who served since World War II. But the belief was that there weren't any, and so it's actually very easy um, because you, you asked me if it stopped me. It didn't stop me. It didn't stop others because I wanted to serve, and I wasn't going to let being gay get in the way. And so uh, when I enlisted and when I went through <clears throat> the initial, <clears throat> uh, what's that word, in induction day, and at that time in the middle of the Vietnam War, there were thousands of people being inducted every day. They were just raking people in. So at the induction center, it was kind of a, a, a production line, you know, where you go from one place to another, and uh, it's very quick. And so at some point or other, they said, do you have any problem with being gay? Well, I didn't have any problem being gay, so I said no. <laughs> um, and, of course, thousands of people, you know, experience some, some form of that kind of question. And uh, <clears throat> so 
Then, uh, now, now listen, uh, this, this is a, a, a podcast so I can use foul language. Totally. Right? We even have a, we even have an explicit tag. Yeah, yeah, I'm usually the one who earns it. <laughs> All right. So during the induction process, which, of course, took most of one day, uh, with thousands and thousands and thousands of men, uh, young men uh, standing around in their underwear, at one point some uh, senior petty officer jumps up on a table and shouts, all right, motherfuckers, line up. Nuts to butts. I want you so close to the guy in front of you that he starts to smile. And he starts to laugh back <laughs> off a little bit. Now, of course, if you laugh, I think that was kind of a test, you know, then they'd single you out and go, excuse me, we want to talk to you. Um, so, you know, that was my that was my first introduction to uh, homophobia because, you know, you can laugh at it, and it is funny, but, it, you know, today it would be considered, you know, uh, uh, sexual harassment. Um, but, you know, I gulped and carried on. Um, you know, they actually, during that process, gave it a, us an invitation to speak up and get out. You know? But I was determined, and uh, then they flew us to Chicago and put us on a bus to Great Lakes, Illinois, oh, yeah. in the middle of winter, where it was about 40 below at Great Lakes. And uh, everything, was, everything was really nice until about 12.30 a.m. when that bus pulled inside the gate of boot camp at Great Lakes, Illinois. And that's when this guy got on the bus and said, All right, motherfuckers, off the bus. You're in a world of shit. And that's when I began to regret it. <laughs> but, you know, it was the proudest day of my life that I made it through that. You know, I'm By the way, four. Danny, just as a little backstory. Yeah. James L. Johnson Jr. was for us. That son of a bitch who jumped on the bus. Jim was our drill instructor <laughs> when we were in basic right. training. So and, we got stories there, buddy. I, and, I, I, I and, get to meet somebody who actually did that. <laughs> and, and Denny, it uh, was uh, for Gar and I, it was this Monday, 28 years ago this Monday that yeah. we, uh, yep. September we 26th. got on those yellow footprints down to San Diego. Yep. That's all right. Monday, Monday at 0600, both of you are going to be out in your backyard sweating, thinking of me. <laughs> well, you know, in, in retrospect, I could say, you know, after having served 10 years and achieved E7 and so on, um, you know, I believe it builds character. It really does. You know, you grow up really fast. So um, now to, to quote uh, Cheech Moran in, uh, in Big Bamboo, what was the question? <laughs> let's take you back to where you were you just hit boot camp and let's yep. move through boot camp with it and now uh, you're out to the fleet you were on an aircraft oh, carrier right? oh yes well okay that's kind of interesting yes so you know during the vietnam era you know recruiters told you anything you wanted to hear and truth and promises you know meant nothing <laughs> so uh i wanted to be a journalist and they said okay you'll be a journalist you know well you're going to write letters home, right? <laughs> and, and uh, well, I was a writer in college, so, uh, you know, a columnist and so on. So, But uh, anyway, that turned out to be bullshit because when I got to boot camp, somebody said, well, journalism school's closed. Who told you that? Can I see it on your contract? Well, of course it wasn't there. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, finally they said, well, okay, look, uh, we'll, we'll get as close as we can. We'll make you a photographer's mate. And so I thought, well, all right, you know, and of course that was bull too. Uh, all that got me was two green stripes because photographers, for some reason, are Airedales and they get green stripes. So uh, there's no rhyme, no reason to it. Anyway, 
in the middle of boot camp, there was, uh, or towards the end, there was the day where you get assigned to where you're going to go. And, uh, you know, to a school or to a ship or whatever. And it was a very long line, several hours long. And as I got to the front of the line, the lieutenant sitting at the desk got a note that said, the next 400, go to the Forrestal. <laughs> and so that's how I ended up on the aircraft carrier Forrestal uh, in, in uh, oh, I guess, the late spring of 1968. Um, a year before, in 1967, was the big fire on the Forrestal. Yep, yep. Off the coast of Vietnam, there was a very young lieutenant on the flight deck in his plane, and he was an asshole, and... Uh, you know, he didn't know the rule that if you fuck around with military equipment, people die. And so, as a joke, he did a wet start, meaning adding kerosene to the fuel mix and shooting out a nice blue flame from the back of his plane, and uh, that, which is supposed to scare the pilot behind you. Unfortunately, the flame burned the fuse on a Zuni rocket on that plane, which fired into a 500-pound bomb on his plane, which he dropped on the deck. And then he got out and ran. And the bomb exploded and started a series of munitions, explosions, and fires that burned for three days and killed 134 American sailors. Did this guy end up in jail? Ah, thank you. You're a good straight man to ask that <laughs> A good second banana. Well, you see, you're supposed to say, well, yes, what happened to that guy? Well, today, Senator John McCain... Mm -hmm is still an asshole. <laughs> I, I want that, you to know I rolled a... It was an easy marble. <laughs> you knew that. You knew that was coming. Yes. That was John McCain. And, yes. uh, today, of course, the word asshole has been translated into maverick, but, you know, he still killed 134 of us, and I was sent to replace one of them. So that's, that's how it happened, and I was sent right to V2 Division, which is catapults and... Uh, 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 resting gear that catches the planes with the hook, and that's where most of them were killed on the flight deck crew. So that's what you did? Uh, well, that's what I was supposed to do when I was checked into V2 Division. The yeoman there, uh, you know, one deck below the flight deck, said, uh, you like heavy equipment? And I'm like, gulp. Uh, well, uh, he said, ah, you'll get used to it. Anyway, uh, he sent me on my way, and then he looked in my file, opened up the hatch, and shouted down the passageway, passageway may I get back here? Because he'd noticed that I could read and write. Mm -hmm. And type. <laughs> and, um, which was a rarity in the Navy in those days. And that was the old <laughs> Navy. And so he said, how would you like to be a yeoman? And that's how the next ten years began. <laughs> in other words, I became an admin clerk. So, um, now, when you went very, into the very, uh, very, ma army, very, ma very masculine job, mind you. <laughs> <laughs> when you went into the army, you were into a specialized unit. What was that? Um, well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. But um, <laughs> you know, trust me, that's, that's been attempted before. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an old line. But no, uh, after I got out of the navy um, and wanted to be free, you know, and I was about 25 years old and I went looking for work. It took a while to realize that I had one skill to sell, which was military administration. And so eventually um, I found my way to the Department of the Army that was hiring uh, admin background veterans only to administer the Army Reserve. And it was a dual status civilian military position. 
And, well, actually, it was just a civilian position to start with. And uh, so I was hired to administer reserve units. And about two weeks after I got the job, some genius in Washington said, you know, if we ever activated the reserves, which had never been done, uh, these civilians who are the only ones who know what's going on would not go with them because they're civilians. We better require them to be a member of the unit they administer. And so that's how I ended up in the Army. <laughs> um, Interesting, so, interesting. Yeah. So during this time period, Denny, mm-hmm. did, did you engage in sexual activities with uh, military personnel? No. Um, you kept that strictly I, into the civilian world. That's right. I I yeah. was very young, and I was very cute, and I had boyfriends <laughs> in every port, literally. But no, I kept that very separate. Um, did anyone ever suspect where, that you were... Uh, no, and... Oh. Uh, I, I think I might have told you some stories, and you're just feeding feeding me the, the lead lines. <laughs> but uh, when I was in the Navy, aboard ship, uh, you know, when people are when boys are at sea for six to eight weeks, they get a little antsy, and so there was a common thing for this thing to go on called grab assing, and it did not mean that they were gay. They were just straight boys fooling around, you know, laughing their asses off in big groups, grabbing each other's butts and carrying on. And uh, it was just common. And it was a release of tension, but that's all. They were just kidding around. And God help any gay guy who thought otherwise, because you'd end up dead. You'd be thrown overboard uh, and and never be seen again. And so <clears throat> because I was afraid that, you know, I, I might get excited, uh, I didn't go for that. So anybody that reached out to touch me, I'd grab their neck and bounce their head against the bulkhead and say, I, I don't go for that shit. And as a result, I got a reputation as the straightest guy around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> gotcha. And one day when they were having a witch hunt, the officers called me in and said, Meyer, you're the only one we can be sure of. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure these guys work for military intel. Yes. And they said, you know, will you help us find these people? And, of course, I grunted, I, I don't know nothing about that, sir. <laughs> I don't know nothing about that. And that was the end of that. So, uh, look, there was plenty of carrying on going on from what I've heard, uh, but people were getting caught right and left. My gaydar worked fine. I knew who was gay. I never said a word to them. I lived as an island. Uh, in silence, and so if they got caught and got questioned, my name never came up. You know, Denny, I'm curious, if you... And, you know, that was a, a really sad way to live, come to, you know, if you think about it. Well, so, so. I want to I roll, roll this across the table here. Mm-hmm. We don't know who's listening to us, but we're assuming that somebody who's listening to us is in the same position that you're at at this moment. So Not anymore. Well, not as of earlier this week. <laughs> correct. In fact, okay. So, with that in mind, of those people who were in that position, uh-huh. let's go ahead and use that as a springboard to earlier this week. Explain why earlier this week why that's important. Because uh, as of September twentieth, two thousand eleven, it is no longer illegal to be openly gay and serving in the military. Um, you can be out, and it just doesn't matter anymore, as it is with all of our allied countries. Um, so a guy may not want to be out, but if he gets caught, his career isn't over. He's not being kicked out. 
And so you no longer have that threat hanging over you and uh, that fear that someday you could be caught. And it never leaves you. And the whole 10 years that I served, there was always that sense that any day something could happen. And in fact, it did. When I was being uh, undergoing a routine investigation for security clearance, I was called in to what we called carpet territory in the Navy. And there were two men in razor-sharp suits, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, CID agents. And they sat me down and said, Meyer, as you know, we're uh, conducting a routine investigation for your security clearance. And in the course of that, uh, we have discovered evidence that you are a... And between that word and the next, I died. I said, oh, shit. They got me. I'm dead. I'm ruined. Because in those days, you wouldn't only get a dishonorable discharge, you could never get a job anywhere. You were just ruined. And then he finished the sentence, that you are a <clears throat> user of marijuana. <laughs> and I wanted to jump up and down and clap my hands and laugh and say, oh, is that all? <laughs> but, you know, I, I just simply looked perplexed, and uh, that was the end of that. So, you know, it was a, I, that was like 40 years ago. It was a, a moment of terror that I've never forgotten all the rest of Hey, can of we hold life. on a second? Yes. Jim got dropped. No, Jim's yeah, here. I'm back He's, now. he's back. I'm back now. Okay. So the reason why I asked this question is because I'm very curious because I look at somebody, yourself, and the work that you're doing, and, I, and maybe this is, this is a battle, but maybe it's a war. I don't know. You won. All of your efforts, all of your work, all of your stepping out, all of your leading a charge, all of the rallies, all of your letters, conversations, phone calls, posts on a web page, conversations with senators, you won. Um, well, as my current editorial on my website says, uh, the battle, okay, <laughs> you got to remember the exact lines. Uh, Let's pause for a minute here while I find this. Um, because we didn't actually... We're, we're, we're getting there, but we're not done. Um, okay. Because hey, there, there's, there's still a group of uh, people in, the, in that organ... Or in that... The GL... Oh, what is it? Oh, I can't remember. Gay, lesbian, and yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's bacon, lesbian, and tomato, right? Uh, <laughs> okay. Anyway, to answer the question, uh, the right to marry and the right to serve victories are the beginning of our freedom. They are perhaps the end of the beginning of the battle for full equality. Okay, that, I stole that from Churchill, of course. Um, but... Uh, what we don't have on the first day of freedom last Tuesday is equality, okay? Because the Defense of Marriage Act blocks the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, from giving equal rights to gay people, from recognizing marriages and partnerships. So if you have two soldiers side by side in Afghanistan shot, one gay and one straight, they will be medevac together to Rammstein, Germany, to the big American military hospital, and the spouse of the straight soldier will be flown to Ramstein to be at his or her side at government expense. And their children will be taken care of by military family services. 
because they can't recognize the marriage of the gay soldier, um, his part, his or her partner will not be flown at government expense to Ramstein. And any children they have, and they do have children, uh, will not be taken care of. They have to do everything at their own expense. Now, the difference, of course, from the day before is that now the gay soldier's partner can appear. <laughs> okay, before that, that wasn't allowed either because he'd be kicked out because the partner was secret, didn't exist. So there is a big difference, but equal rights are still not there. Well, they still don't get medical benefits, is that correct? And they don't get entitlement, the partner? Absolutely. And they don't get entitlement to uh, the life insurance policies. They can't go to the commissary even because the relationship is not recognized. So uh, that's the problem. And I have to tell you, because I was involved in the research and consultation with the Pentagon during the last year while they were trying to work all this out, they really don't like this. They don't like not having equal benefits. They want all their service members, including gay and lesbian service members, to have equal benefits. We're talking about the Pentagon. Yep. yep. They want to do this right. It's not the they Pentagon. It's the right-wing thump boxes. Like, that's right. They don't like being blocked. They don't like you know, soldiers side by side not being equal. And they're trying as hard as they can to find ways to give as many benefits as they can without breaking the law from wing Republicans. Well, let, let me ask you something, since you did uh, various researches for the government. Now, NATO has 26 countries that permit the military for the gays to serve openly. There's only 22 on it that uh, don't. I believe that's the correct number. Well, the, the, the number keeps changing. There's actually yeah. about 27 or 28 now. Well, it depends which gotcha. you go to. <laughs> now, do the other militaries, do they provide full uh, well, care for the dependents? That, that probably varies, but I, there's one I know about. Well, there's several I know about. Okay, Canada, absolutely, uh, gives everything. Uh, Australia is starting to allow. Are we, are we connected? I'm hearing fuzzy. Yeah, we're good. I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to track it down, my friend. Okay. Uh, Australia allows on-base joint housing now. Um, the toughest military on earth, Israel, gives full death benefits to a partner whose whose uh, soldier's partner was killed in battle. So um, yes. They give benefits. They realize. You know, that's interesting that you brought up Israel, because I know that Israelis accept uh, gays into the military with it. And under the law of Moses, the Torah, it was a death penalty if if you associated or had uh, intercourse with a, a male. Well, that depends on which version you're reading and which translation. But... Um, the, the fact is that uh, gay people in Israel, modern Israel have always had to serve. Being gay is no excuse. It's a very small country, and everybody has to serve uh, at least three years and then stay, of course, as a reservist until age 55. And being gay has never been an excuse. The difference is that there is no longer a glass ceiling. Um, in 1993 or 4, um, they were holding hearings in the Knesset, in the Israeli parliament, about uh, homosexuals in the military. And, uh, you know, nobody was too thrilled about discussing this matter, you know. Um, but then a witness was brought in, and uh, he 
testified that he had been a high-ranking officer with a top security clearance. And then they found out he was gay, demoted him to sergeant, and took away his security clearance. Uh, and it's who he was that was the interesting part. He was the Israeli scientist who had invented the Israeli atomic bomb. And everybody in Parliament was like slapping their foreheads, like, you know, we can't do this to this guy. He's a hero. You know? <laughs> and, uh, so then Prime Minister Rabin, you know, uh, said, you know, that, that's that. You know, this, this is ridiculous. It's intolerable. Look at this guy. So we're going to allow gay people to serve openly with no glass ceiling, give him back his security clearance and his rank. And because he had been commander, commandant of the Northern Command, the most elite of the Israeli Armed Forces, IDF, uh, he called in his officers, his generals, and said, okay, we're now going to allow people, gay people to serve openly without any problems. And if you don't like it, I have other officers waiting to take your place. And that was the end of that. Um, and since then, you know, uh, see, the, the thing is, is, Israelis, you know, they have a different set of perceptions than Americans do. I mean, on the one hand, they're just as prejudiced against gay people as anybody, but, but their primary concern is security. And so long as somebody is not a security threat, they lose an all interest in, in, you know, worrying about anything else. And so, um, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't an issue, so... You know, you only become a security threat when you've got secrets. Yeah, well, right. That wasn't the that wasn't the thing. I mean, look, even in the American military in 1959, the Pentagon commissioned a study to see if gay people were a security risk, and it was determined then that they're not any more of a security risk than anybody else. No, I mean, what what I'm saying is, is that yeah. if somebody is concerned about right. their oh, yes. secret getting out. That is an area yeah. of attack. I know this from being a Cold War vet. You know, right. if, if but, you live your in, life like there's no secrets and you have yes. nothing to hide, you've well, got that, nothing to hide. That's, that's the point that was made. But um, even when there was a secret to hide, gay people were not a risk. Correct. Um, I thought about this when I was serving, and I've interviewed hundreds of other gay veterans with high rank and uh, top security clearances, and each of us independently came up with the same idea, which is, we are patriots, we're Americans. If anybody ever threatened us to, with blackmail to reveal you know, what, what we happen to know, we would march right into our commander's office and, and bite the bullet. And everybody thought of this independently on their own because nobody's communicating about it. But, uh, so there never was a security threat, you know. Yeah, well, well, wasn't it rumored at one time that J. Edgar Hoover was homosexual? Oh. Well, that's 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 the common belief. You know, I wouldn't know, <laughs> but uh, I, I believe he's buried side by side with his lover in the congressional cemetery. So, you know, that's kind of a, a pink flag. You know, uh -huh. uh, by the by the way, uh, J. Edgar Hoover is buried in a large um, uh, tomb in the congressional cemetery. Uh, a half a block away from the grave of Leonard Matlovich. <laughs> so, <laughs> For the guys but, that don't know who that is, watch Oh, Leonard Matlovich was the first person to publicly come out in 1974 uh, for the purpose of, you know, trying to change the policy. He was an 18-year Sterling uh, Air Force uh, staff sergeant, 
uh, a Vietnam, a genuine Vietnam hero, Purple Heart, Bronze Star. And he wrote, this was planned, of course, but he wrote a letter to the Secretary of the Air Force and said, I'm gay. And, of course, as expected, they promptly discharged him, and he sued. And the case went on for many, many years, uh, but eventually he won and was reinstated. But he didn't go back in because by that time the Air Force and he were very sick of each other, and they gave him a lot of money to go away. And then he died of AIDS, and uh, he knew that was happening, so he wrote his own epitaph on his tombstone and paid for it at the Congressional Cemetery. And uh, it's visited by thousands of people every year. It says, a gay Vietnam veteran. When I was in the military, they gave me a medal for killing two men and a discharge for loving one. Yeah. Interesting. Powerful. Now, your lifelong partner died of AIDS also, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. About 20 yeah. years ago. So, so uh, you you do you take tests all the time or no? Oh yes, well I mean, of course I was tested immediately back then and I happened to be negative, and mm -hmm. have been ever since. Um, so it's just one of those things. Um, so, um, but yes, that was you know we were uh, lovers uh, from uh, about 1973 when I was already working for the Army Reserve, and by 1978, when I left the Army Reserve, um, because I was a Sergeant First Class E-7 with lots and lots of respect by superiors and subordinates, I just got tired of leading a double life, and uh, it just felt dirty, and uh, so I <clears throat> resigned. Now, enlisted people can't resign, but in my dual status position, you had that right. So. I left the job and resigned and uh, to live freely with my lover. And, uh, you know, about 10 years later, um, he was dying of AIDS, unfortunately. Was there drug uh, use involved in that or no? No, 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 no. Okay. Because yeah. there's more than one way to do it. <laughs> contact oh, yes, right. or get AIDS, right. that's why I ask you. Right, no. And, and though that was, you know, we had a different lifestyle back then. You could love each other very much, but it was okay to mess around with other folks, yeah. uh, which was nice and wonderful, but it just, you know, didn't happen to work out the right way because of AIDS. And, of course, that affects more straight people than gay people now. That's for true. The same reason, yep. For yep. the same reason. So, you know, people who go, ah, you're leading a life of sin, you know, well, I'm sorry. You know, Tornado Alley is, you know, all red states, so get over it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know earlier this week, I, after uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, um, I had, I was, I'm on Facebook quite a bit, and a lot of my, I, I work with, in the summertime, the organization I work with, I there's a lot of homosexuals, and I worked with them for 22 years and have no problem working with them. I, I love a lot of them as good friends. Um, but a lot of my, my, especially my younger friends were making comments about how good this is that don't ask, don't tell was being repealed. And as a veteran, I finally said, okay, now it's, it's repealed. Are you going to, are you going to now join and make that sacrifice? And not one of my friends responded to it, but I did get a response from a guy who I went to college with, who's pretty much a right wing um, very conservative, very religious-based person, mm -hmm. and he he who has never served, <laughs> and he started 
and he started talking about how this was, you know, going to hurt the military and no one in the military wants it. And he started, you know, <laughs> doing pretty much. Well, you know. Yeah. And, it, and I said, well, you know, I kind of, I respect this because in back in the forties, Truman integrated the troops. He basically said that there is no comparison to what Truman did to what, what's happening now. Oh, really? <laughs> of course not. How convenient. Uh, listen, <laughs> in 1948, if you told the average American that in 1980, the, uh, the, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff would be a black general, and in, in, and in, in 2010, the, uh, the secretary of the Veterans Administration would be a Japanese-American general, you know, they would have told you you're nuts. <laughs> you know, so, exactly. so you know, uh, it, you know, people who never served, you know, have a big mouth, and and um, you know, put your put your money where your mouth is. You, you know. know, I have sign, to say sign, that sign up. I struggle well, I mean, with you know that you bring up Danny. You bring up an interesting point because so many times mm-hmm. I struggle with these what I call these false patriots who seem <laughs> to know exactly. Oh, yeah. What a veteran is thinking, and the best mm-hmm. way that to support or not, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? We, I struggle with that particular concept because. Well, you know, if you sew an American flag to your janitor's uniform, you're, you're a real hero. Yeah. Um, I discovered that, uh, you know, uh, right after 9 11, when you got all these people running around with their chest stuck out like they were heroes because they sewed an American flag to their janitor's uniform, and that's all they ever did. You know, well, you know what? Uh, in 2001, a lot of young Americans signed up, you know, gay yeah. and lesbian, straight, all kinds of people uh, signed up to serve their country out of patriotism. And the same as in World War II and the same as in Vietnam when a lot of people, you know, decided to serve their country as I did. And uh, so, um, you know, these, these people who never stepped forward... You know, look, I can tell a story. When I was 15, in addition to telling the gay friend that I was gay, I told my very best friend, who was also 15, that I was gay, and he couldn't handle it. He rejected me in absolute disgust, went and told everybody in school. And uh, a few years later, he ran off to Canada to avoid the draft, and his queer friend joined the service and served for 10 years. So you tell me who's got balls. Amen. No, I mean, I agree with you. I, I mean, I think that there's, but the, the the thing that I just, I don't know, James, we've, James and David and I, we've had several conversations about this. We are not politically on the same path, um, uh, you know, which brings a certain uniqueness to us. And, but I have, I've been standing up at all of these radio shows and basically been saying the same thing. I'm tired of people simply because they bought a yellow sticker at Walmart for $1.99 and slammed it on their <laughs> truck. And it was probably made in China. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, that's not to say that these people don't want to be patriots and don't want to serve, because a lot of these people are giving up sons and daughters and nephews, and they're, they're, they're also serving as well. But my point that I'm trying to make here is those people who profess to know military patriotism and what is best for the military – who've never been now you don't have to you know just because you served on the same token doesn't give you just like an auto you know brilliance but mm-hmm. i do struggle with that conversation that david was having there with you know these folks that are so cocksure 
of exactly what it is that these people need and what we need to do and for our military and what's going to be unit cohesion and what's not going to be unit cohesion. Mm-hmm. That portion of it, I do, I really do tell you something. It, it does, uh, it does stick with me. It sticks in my craw a little bit. Well, speaking see, of Jim, most, do we most, still have Jim? People. Yeah, Jim's is here. He's just, he's just being quiet. Most people, <laughs> most people live by the convenience of believing, you know, that, uh, God was made in their image. Um, well, you know, and, and every prejudice they have happens to belong to God conveniently. Yeah. Um, you know, look, uh, several years ago, I did a live radio show with an ABC affiliate statewide in Tennessee. And uh, it was a call-in. And the host was like, you know, trying to tell me he'd protect me. And I said, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, we got many calls. And then this guy with an Appalachian accent that you could cut with a knife a white guy, mind you, called up and said, I don't think we should have, in the military, we should have women, no blacks, no homosexuals, because they all be too much trouble. And I said, well, you know, I, I respect your opinion, sir. And uh, he's like, huh? And I said, now let me ask you a question, because uh, I knew the answer, okay? I said, did you ever serve? He says, no, I didn't. I said, I didn't think so, because you don't deserve to wear the American uniform. You know, we all have to get work together in the armed forces and respect each other, because we're all out there defending free click. <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think this is the point you're trying to make, you know. Um, those of us with the courage and patriotism to step forward uh, are different from those who, you know, just sit back in their pickup truck and flap their lips. So. And they f- seem to flap the living shit out of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I got to tell you something. My dad and I, we part company on a lot of these particular things. And, you know, mm-hmm. Rush Limbaugh, you can buff my toes. With your well, t- you know what? Uh, I don't think it's really a matter of age. There's an assumption that it is, but there isn't. Uh, in about uh, 2005, um, in New York, we were having the yearly Gay Pride Rally, which is a week before the parade, where we take over a park, and there's a you know a giant soundstage and everything, and much festivities and music and speakers and so on. So the whole park is filled with you know gay people, and there's rainbow flags flying everywhere, and it's right in the, it was right in the heart of the city. And I'm standing kind of at the periphery on one of the edges in my veteran's garrison cap, handing out brochures for my organization. And in comes, uh, this is like in the middle of the city where there's lots of tourists and everything. And in comes uh, this very old couple, this guy who was about 88 years old with his arm around his wife and his World War II veteran's cap on his head. And... They didn't know what was going on in the parks, so it just looked like more more city tourist fun. So, and he saw a veteran, me, and so he came over and said, "What's going on here?" And I said, "Oh, it's a, it's a gay pride rally." And he pauses for a minute, looks at my veteran's hat, and says, "So you're a gay veteran?" I said, "That's right." And then I expected to get some shit from him, and he says, "Well, I want you to know, I was in the Normandy invasion, and five of our members of our troop were gay." And I'll tell you something, the German bullets didn't discriminate. Excellent. Um, So this guy was 88. So, you know, it's not a factor of age. Um, uh, It's it's a factor of 
narrow-minded stupidity and convenient bigotry. And I think the word is convenient. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because you can talk to any religious fundamentalist bigot and, uh, you know, his religion, and he can be a Christian or a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu. Uh, his religion teaches him that conveniently God chose him and his people, <laughs> you know, to be the only right one. Well, that's interesting. But don't you uh, find it's true, though, that the younger generation has less of a hurdle to climb when it yes. comes to these issues? Yes, because they grew up with gay friends in high school and junior high school, and uh, they trained with their buddies. And, you know, because, I don't know, I think after 2001 the training was different because they knew they were going to go into very serious combat and, and uh, definitely could be killed, and they still had the courage to step forward. And so they trained together, They, you know, and they just, you know, this is... It just doesn't mean anything to them. But isn't it? But it isn't uh, it also. Last, so the last 15 years, many, many gay service members have been serving openly within their own units, and nobody cares. Is it? But it isn't not true to say too that it's it's a harder leap because of what we talked about for somebody such as Jim who went in in you know Vietnam and was there than it is for David and I who ran there in 83 which is somebody that gets there in 2003 because of society in its in itself well um there is some something to that yes because society has progressed but uh on the other hand uh you've just got a lot of disgruntled old Vietnam vets who don't like nothing <laughs> <laughs> okay. they, well, don't like don't... Ameri- they don't like America. They're not proud of their service. And this is specific groups that I don't, don't want to name that really make me want to barf. Um, I've run into them in the Veterans Parade. They're allowed to march, and it's a disgrace. And they have been lumped together by bigots with our gay veterans group. <laughs> really made me see red blood. Uh, these are disgruntled anti-Americans who are ashamed of their service, and, you know, they just don't count. Yeah, you know, I think that doesn't really, uh, there's a lot of different feelings out there. My next-door neighbor, Mm -hmm. I have two lesbians that live next door to me, and one of them became pregnant, and I've Mm -hmm. watched them raise their child for the last, uh, I think that kid's probably 12 years old now. Mm -hmm. And when they first moved in, my boys, they came to me and they said, Dad, why, why aren't two women living together like that? I said, you know, because that's their choice, son. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the kind of world we live in. People mm-hmm. have the opportunity to make various choices, mm-hmm. and that's a choice that they made. And I tried to explain it along those lines. It's the same thing that, like in Vietnam, you know, uh, I served with a lot of blacks. In fact, at one time, I had a squad that was entirely black. Mm-hmm. I went back, on because I spent three tours in Vietnam. Oh, my gosh. I went back on one of my leaves that I got, you know, because when you re-up, you get a 30-day basket leave. Mm-hmm. And I went back to visit someone who had served with me. Mm-hmm. And this was down into the south. I'm from the south. Mm-hmm. But my family had never really been prejudiced towards people. 
I grew up in a town where there were no blacks at all. Mm-hmm. So when I went into the military, that was my exposure to blacks. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened starting in 1948, where people could suddenly be together and realize they're not that, that much different. They both love their families and so on. And that was the beginning of civil rights. Well, you, you, and, learn, you learn through life that, you know what, you may have a different perspective than I do, but as long as you treat each other respectfully, you can coexist in this world. It's whenever you right. no longer treat each other respectfully or you become aggressive towards one another that there's issues that come up there. And I've had uh, I've had a fortunate life in a sense. I've traveled the world. I've been over two-thirds of it. And I've seen a lot of different cultures, a lot of different groups of people. And I've learned to accept a lot of things that most people never had the opportunity to. Right. Well, you know, if you can't respect people for who they are, you end up in a very dangerous position as a service member. Very true. Because if you can't respect the Vietnamese or the Iraqis and you see them all as gooks or what's that word they use in Iraq? Rankheads. Hajis. Hajis. The minute you stop respecting people as human beings, you cease to be an effective soldier and you become very, very dangerous. Uh, and unfortunately, we've had a lot of that. Well, that's because a lot of people don't realize what the military's function really is. Right. You know, I, I never held I never had any hostilities towards any of the Vietnamese. But my job was to search and destroy. That's what I did. Right. And I did it extremely efficiently. Mm-hmm. And I trained my men in accordance. And as Gar can tell you and, and Dave can tell you on it, when you put that uniform on, you've got one purpose and one purpose only. Whenever you are sent to a location, you're not there to hold somebody's hands. You're there to eliminate X amount of people with it. And that's exactly what you do. And right. we, we live in a, a Shirley Temple world sometimes when we think that's not the case. Right. That That is the purpose of any military is to enforce the will of the country that they come from. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, there's that unfortunate army joke that uh, has probably been around for a long time, you know. Um, join the army, see the world, meet interesting people, <laughs> and kill them. Um, and, you know, it's sadly true, <laughs> you know. So um, That's what all military has been since the beginning of time, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and we should never, ever lose sight of that. And the people right. who come back, they have to adjust back into a society. And we talk about this a great deal on our show. Mm-hmm. There are, there are obstacles that come up because, right. you know, you've lived a certain life for X amount of time. Now you're expected to come back, flick a switch, and mm-hmm. be absolutely normal to whatever normal is. Right. And the same and thing, I think, is very true with uh, the gay side of this. Well, is because that's, that's, that's the you're thing. supposed to, that's, that's the whole thing in a nutshell. Well, You're gay supposed people to have, look, I've written absolutely. about this, they, they have a thing called double PTSD. Because not only do you have the combat stress, which can, you know, wreck anybody's mind, uh, on top of that, for many, there was the additional stress of keeping a big secret and being an enemy within, where you could be killed. Uh, if Not anymore, but back, you know, years ago. So you had double PTSD. Stress from hiding 
day and night, every single day, who you were because your own buddies would kill you. And uh, as you know, when our troops came back from Vietnam, nobody got anything. (laughs) (laughs) So... Well, actually, you had to be more silent about your activity in Vietnam. What happened in the 80s and 90s is that most Vietnam troops were members of uh, traditional veterans associations, and when the VA opened up to begin to take care of PTSD and treat everybody who ever served, they were informed. Gay people didn't belong to those veterans groups because they weren't welcome, and they weren't about to submit themselves once again to that kind of rejection. And so they were not informed that Clinton uh, opened up the VA to almost anybody who ever served and that there was now treatment for PTSD. Um, These guys didn't even know they had PTSD. You know, they came back and did the best they could, led their lives, worked, um, and so on. And now, you know, they're 50 and 60 and 70 years old, They've been downsized and lost their job, lost their health insurance. Their partner has died of AIDS. And this long-term PTSD comes back. And uh, there's no place to go. And one of the missions that I gave myself as uh, a president of a AVR chapter was to inform gay soldiers, gay veterans, you earned your benefits and you're entitled to be treated for this problem. And so that's what I've been doing. And that's Well, my belief very is very strong about you wore the uniform, you served. Right. Right. You, you put yourself in harm's way, or you were willing to put yourself in harm's way. Right. So whatever benefits are out there, they're yours. Right. And there should never be a question about it. I don't give a damn if you're gay or, or if, if you're orange, pink, or blue, or green. I could care less. You wore that uniform. Well, you know, the one LGBT group that still may not serve is transgender service members. And we estimate there's 300,000 transgender veterans. Um, In fact, I know one who served for 38 years and was a CB in Vietnam and has two Purple Hearts and 30 combat medals. (laughs) Um, uh, They still are not free, okay? And yet, in June... After 10 years' work by TAVA, the VA issued a new directive about the proper and respectful and dignified treatment of transgender service members. Even though the Department of Defense doesn't allow transgender people to serve, if they know to, um, that was the first directive. Uh, Even before, and there still isn't any directive on the proper treatment of gay and lesbian service members, just transgender. Um, And it required non-discrimination. It made regional directors of the VA responsible for non-discrimination. So it was very clear. And so, you know, we are progressing. uh, And and there's this recognition. You served, and you deserve your benefits equally. Um, Even though transgender people may still not serve in the military if they know about you. Uh, Our allied countries, by the way, allowed all that way back in 1994, when they all switched over to allowing LGBT service, and there just haven't been any problems. You know, there's pragmatic solutions to uh, certain issues, and they're just pragmatic, you know. Uh, You know, 
That's all. It's, well, it's first coming of all, up on the hour. yeah, it's, it's that time, <laughs> Denny. I want to say a couple of things to you, man. There's a couple of things that you really point out is, is the United States military is the arm of the failed diplomacy wing of government, and <laughs> and if we could have the same kind of understanding the different points of view and perspectives in Congress and across mm-hmm. this nation as we have in the military, I have a feeling that we would once again be dominating every aspect of of this planet. And I think mm-hmm. reaching out is, is an important piece. And the second mm-hmm. part is is that you're you're spreading this show. This is really an important show for us because it you know, we are trying to reach out and make sure we grab all folks and and boy I'll tell you what, unfortunately we we hit that fifty nine fifty nine moment and and <laughs> you know, we hit our shout outs time. But I really do appreciate you coming on board, Denny. Thank you. And, and stepping out up here for us. David, why don't you go ahead and do our standard before we fly out of here and I can eat some PTA lunch here. All right. So for our shout outs this week, hey, check out GusMcCoy.com. Gus or Chewy has a couple of new stories up. And like I said, like I've said in the past, they always make me chuckle really good and hard. Um, we got the gallery openings for the Graffiti Award Tour coming up on Veterans Day. And we want to wish them the best of luck and get out there and support them if you happen to be in one of the communities. Check out their webpage for where they're going to be at. We also want to help out Side of Helms out there at Helping Hands Worldwide. So if you have some children's books that you want to send, um, send them to her and just make sure you tell them that the guys at Stanadies have sent her sent you there sent you her way. Let's put that on the takeout reel too, guard. <laughs> no, no, no more drinking while we're recording. Okay. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get Denny on board here with his with, with his uh, organization as well. You know, we want to make sure that people know American where, where to find Vets. That's right. Let's check. Uh, if you want to check out more about American Vets uh, who for equal rights, go to their right. webpage. Okay. Denny, Aver, give us the Aver, webpage. Aver has chapters all across the country. That's A-V-E-R dot U-S is the website. And uh, if you want to read all about LGBT vets, of course, there is GayMilitarySignal.com. Well, fellas, what an excellent oh, and show. Yes. Trans- if, if one more. <laughs> Sorry. If you're transgender, there is Tava USA, which is T-A-V-A-U-S-A dot org. That's the Transgender Veterans Group. Excellent. Well, gentlemen, and we come to another event. We, we're going to be on our personal side. We're going to be cutting the show here again tomorrow, so we'll be on board with that. But I do want to do a quick shout-out once again, say thanks for coming on board here, Sergeant First Class mm-hmm. Denny Meyer. Really appreciate having you on board. Uh, for all the guys here over to my left, James, uh, over to my right, James L. Johnson Jr., we got D.B. on Christian, and I'm Garland Green coming in saying a special thanks, everybody, for joining in on, on this otherwise excellent uh, program. Thank you guys.